everybody. You're watching, listening, whatever, to so many sequels. I'm Josh. I'm Garrett. And I'm David. Oh, I got I got some laughs out the gate. <laughs> um, today on the show, we are uh, continuing our trek across the stars to where no man has gone before uh, with Star Trek First Contact. <laughs> we are talking about the... Specifically, the... Star Trek movies featuring the Next Generation cast. Um, last time we talked about Generations, which was that bridge movie between the original series and the TNG cast. Mm-hmm. And this time, we are seeing the TNG crew get their own film in a much more like sci-fi action-packed type of movie than the last one. Um, where did my information go? Here it is. Star Trek First Contact came out. Oh, it's a little earlier than I thought it did. It came out November 22nd, 1996. That's right. Uh, Directed by Jonathan Frakes, who plays uh, Commander Riker. His his feature film debut. Yes, his debut as a a director. He would Um, go on to make Clock Stoppers. He's a pretty... Great movie. Underrated. Jesse Bradford. You know, I'm not. That's in that good burger round for Garrett. <laughs> I've not seen that movie in so long. I wouldn't oh, mind watching good. it again. It's good. It's he, fun. I always Jonathan wanted Frakes, a clock stopper watch. He really made. In it. He really made that. Yeah. Wow. I think it's a Nickelodeon film, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Okay, let's see. He's directed. He directed, directed two Star Treks, Clock Stoppers, Thunderbirds. That's right. And two looks like TV movies called The Librarian. And then, of course, he directed a handful, uh, quite a few, actually, TV shows. Um, episodes of TNG, episodes of Deep Space Nine and Voyager, uh, Roswell, if anybody watched that. Uh, oh, he directed some episodes of Castle with Nathan Fillion. That's a fun show. Oh. Uh, NCIS You never watched yeah, that No, no, no. I did. Oh, here you go. This one's for wow. Garrett. He directed five episodes of Burn Notice. Ooh, I noticed. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one episode Donovan. of a- Agents of Shield. Ooh, I wonder what what uh, episode is it? Does it say of Shield? Yeah. Um, episode like se- season one, episode eight. Oh, okay, okay. And then, man, he's directed a lot. Two episodes of the Orville. Ah, um, oh, that makes sense. Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard. So this guy okay. is this guy's a big time TV director. Yeah, he's had a lot of success with that, and he's. Have uh, y'all- while we're uh, on the, the topic of, fiction. yes, I was just going to say, while we're on the topic of factor fiction or of Jonathan Frakes, have, I'm sure you all have. Have you all seen the supercut of him asking weird questions? Yes. Oh my gosh! Well, I'm gonna have to pull it up for Garrett because Garrett, did you funny. ever watch Factor Fiction on TV? Beyond Belief, yeah. Factor Fiction. Beyond Belief, Factor. So it's, it's kind of like a great show. What was that other show? Um, Unsol- it's almost like Unsolved Mysteries, but you're presented with different stories but some of them are not real yeah, you're presented with what you're i think it's like three stories and any number of them could be they could all be true they could all be false or they two could be false one could be true or two could be you know any combination of the things right and it's and a lot of them are like urban myths that you've probably heard and it's a and then they're they're dramatized so there's kind of almost a uh uh twilight or uh, uh like a like a Tales from the Crypt element of they're they're like you know he'll he'll, he'll come on and go 
Have you ever had trouble reading the newspaper? It's really That's funny. The kind of problem I'll, that we'll somebody watch it found this, out this it is, week. It's you know, like he's like, like a drunk guy. Yeah, and then he'll oh. set up the he'll set up this he'll set up the thing to go. That's what our young friend Jennifer will be trying to find out this week. Um, and then they'll play the mo- the episode, and then it'll come to an end, and then he'll introduce another one. He'll introduce that next, and then he'll he'll go. Did you buy our tale about a woman that <laughs> found an old urn in her house that was secretly a ghost? Sorry, we made it up. Like <laughs> it's it's basically a really fun. Uh, it's probably a show that's more fun when you're young, drunk, or high. You know, some facet of not uh, a complete adult. Yeah. But I thoroughly enjoyed it as a kid. I used to watch it, it, and Ripley's Believe It or Not, all the time. Well, let's be clear. None of us are real adults at this age. <laughs> oh, anyway. no, no. There's no such thing as a real adult. Um, oh. Looks like he also did uh, some... I, uh, Patrick Stewart is a real adult. Okay, well, he might be the only one. He did some episodes of Gargoyles, too. He was the voice of, yes. of the character. So he's cool. voice of Xanatos. But um, this did not... In, I did not intend for this to become a Jonathan Frakes power hour. Um, though, though, uh, though always, always deserved. Week. So in Star Trek first contact, um, for, this is particularly good for fans of the show because it dives a little deeper into Picard's relationship with the Borg, having been assimilated himself, uh, mm-hmm. during the television show in, uh, two of the best episodes ever made really of that series and in all of Star Trek, um, the Borg have figured out a way to go back in time and assimilate the entirety of Earth before they were able to make first contact with another alien species, thus kickstarting their revolution and the creation of the Federation and all that stuff. So, yeah, they were able to assimilate the entire human race before they had the ability to fight back. And so now it is up to Picard and the crew of the Enterprise E making its first appearance on film. It's super to, sexy. Yes, it's very cool. Uh, it's up to them to single-handedly save the entire human race because they were fortunate enough to get trapped in a temporal wake and not be affected by the changes in the very, past. It's a very Star Trekky thing. We're in some sort it of is. temporal wake. There's always an explanation. Um, okay, so again, this is going to be another situation where everyone but Garrett has seen this movie before. So, um, but I, this time, I'm going to start with Andrew. I want to hear Andrew's thoughts on this movie. I loved it. Did, loved did you it. love it the f- first time? Yeah. This time? Yeah. Both times? Yeah, I feel like this one, I want to say that of the next generation movies, this is probably the best one. Probably. And, and it's, yeah, it's definitely. It's definitely the best one. <laughs> it has the best story. It's more, it's very tightly put together. And yep. everybody, everybody has a, you know, everybody's role in this movie kind of, kind of plays it in, kind of ties together with it. I mean, yeah, we were talking about last time when there were, when there were characters in generations that were there and that's really just it. The, uh, the characters here actually do have a purpose. Like there, there's a reason I, I can't, I can't think of a character that was like out of place at all. So yeah, I agree with that. They're so much better. They're much better used than they were in the last one. I yeah. will say, yeah, um, I will say that it's much better motivated. I I feel like everything here is very well motivated, right? And uh, seeing that 
personal conflict again with uh, Picard trying to overcome the Borg and that dynamic of Data and Picard is kind of is always going to be there but it's just uh, it's it's nice having that dynamic where you explore more about them and and you find out literally I, I like how it ties into one of the to, I like how it ties into one of the Borg episodes mm-hmm. and they make it about the Borg because I I remember the Borg being like a primitive a primitive uh, plot point in the series but I'm happy that they actually did this so there's like a central there's like a central there's like a central form of leadership to the Borg they're not just they're not just operating like a virus. You're always big on this kind of stuff, Andrew. What do you think of like the cinematography, the production? Oh yeah, here because it's it's much different than the last movie. The production value I thought was great, mm-hmm. and and uh, yeah, the cinematography. I will say that first shot where it comes out of it comes out of Picard's eye, <laughs> and we do that. It's like I don't know, like a one-minute take of them uh, in the Borg hive. Mm-hmm. I remember watching that and thinking, like, man, that blows me away. Like, I never realized that that was just one take. So that's something that blew me away. Um, I felt the cinematography was pretty good. Like, you can definitely tell when things go wrong, everything gets moody, and you can you can really tell it. Um. Yeah, that's all I got to say about that. Okay, that's fine. Um, did Did anybody notice Adam Scott? Yes, I did. That, I, I did, we yeah. were definitely going to bring that up because yeah, yeah Garrett noticed it. Garrett, uh, Adam Scott, I had yeah, never noticed it right away. It was very um, brief. Yeah, and he was so like hidden in shadows and explosions that he barely you you'd miss him if you weren't looking. Yeah, and Nikki got it right away, like from the voice. She was like, mm. sounded like Adam Scott. And then we mm. got like a little bit more of a look and we were like, yeah, that's Adam Scott. And he gets one of the cooler lines of the movie because like this is on War's ship, the Defiant. It's all like wrecking right. and stuff. And he's like, sir, there's a new ship coming in. It's the Enterprise. <laughs> you know, it's like a very hero moment. <laughs> but, but really what he does is, is feed Worf the, one of the greater lines that perhaps today is a good day to die. <laughs> All right, let's shift gears now and listen and hear from Garrett, who has never seen this movie before. What What did you think of the movie? I already know a little bit because I was here. (laughs) This movie gets a zero star rating from me only because it opened up with the nail going directly into (laughs) (laughs) I genuinely hate anything I related. I can't stand it. I don't like it. And they hovered on that for a very long time. And normally, in these kinds of situations, I know when they're going to cut away, and they went beyond when I thought yeah. they were going to cut away, and I struggled. So cut, cut, uh, zero yeah. stars right out the gate. Uh, don't appreciate it. Don't like. It. Yeah. When? The, what about when the little thing uh, pops out of his cheek? I don't remember that. I was probably hiding. Right <laughs> after that, that probably blows my eyes. I don't want to see things going into people's eyes. I don't like it. The movie starts with a dream within a dream moment because he has that, and then he wakes up and he goes and looks in the mirror. And then he's like, what's this on my face? <laughs> Thing bursts out of his cheek. And then he wakes up again. I must have been, I must have been this way at that point in time. The, the eye Did it improve from it. there? Did it improve from there, Garrett? 
Yeah. I thought this movie was uh, better than the last one. Um, I think for me, not having seen the uh, series, there was a lot of uh, disconnect between me and the characters. Um, it really stood out when Josh reacted when Worf looked at Picard and was like, if you were any other man, I'd kill you. And he went, ooh, and I went, okay. Yeah, I, I was like, I oh, had zero God. reaction and to that. You, you literally said, I'm so bored right now. Yes. <laughs> which, I, thought, I guess, which would make sense. You don't understand their relationship. No, I, don't have the, I don't have the background that these movies set up. And I think that is a, I don't want to say a problem because the movie was, the movie was good. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I didn't really feel a real sense of urgency until, um, about 45 minutes left. Um, and then I kind of felt like things really get picked up. The first, honestly, if you want me to be honest with you, the, the real sense of passion, like any kind of sense of urgency or passion, in my opinion, came when, um, Alfred Woodard and, um, Picard, I don't remember, uh, Lily, Lily and Picard we're having that discussion about vengeance and a uh, Moby Dick. That was the first moment in my opinion, when any kind of emotion and urgency was given. And then from there, it really picked up for me. Um, I was really invested at that point in time, but throughout the rest of it, while I thought it was good, I thought that most people were just going through the motions. Um, I didn't really get a sense of much else. Uh, I did not find the Borg intimidating at all. Um, I liked the fact that they were able to adapt. And so you'd see them get blown up by some phasers and then they'd shoot them again. And, and Worf, it was normally Worf, I think, he would shout, they've adapted. And I thought that was a really cool element, but I don't think it really shined as much um, to give them any kind of uh, fear. I did not fear them. Um, I thought the queen was pretty good, but overall I just was watching it. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think those are, those are fair critiques. Yeah. Um, it, there is a lot that, that is missing just from not having a built up, like the viewer relationship with the characters. And I think that this, like you see, you know, again, a lot of movies that are based on TV, you can look at the modern day, Star Trek, you know, they're based on the original series and, and odds are that the younger people have not seen those original series, but they have those times or like that first movie is a time for them to develop those. Um, and then for people like me who are watching these movies, you had generations where you guys said that most of the, the, the next gen cast didn't get a chance to do much of anything. Um, and then you go into this movie where I think a detriment of it is the fact that they are relying on that. This is a movie for people who have seen the series um, because you have that background and movie one, movie two, there really is no character development. So I don't know the connection other than they're all on the ship. That's, I mean, I know they're all on the ship. I know they all work together. Um, I know there's some kind of relationship, but I don't get a chance for those relationships to develop because they've already been developed through seven years of a show. Mm-hmm. And I think I understand that for fans of the show and for people who have seen it. And again, as much as I do like Star Trek, I haven't seen the show. So I have no real sense of what the emotional connection is for any of these people. And that gotta, really loses some of that in this movie. We got to figure out 
where to get you a, the, like the best entrance to Star Trek for you because you're on the good the good path of you enjoy it but it sounds like you haven't found it yet no i'm so i'm i'm watching the original series right now and i've been Me watching too. the original series for several years that's um, your mistake but i usually just watch 3 4 and then several months go by and it's like oh, i'll turn on 3 4 more so it's not really hit me again it's enjoyable but it's not like a gripping wonderful sensation it's more of a this is a fun thing to watch for a few episodes and then i'll take a few months off and come back to it a series you know and uh, we've discussed this problem before garrett and i on our much acclaimed podcast six seasons in a movie uh, (laughs) where we talk about tv shows getting their own uh, films and that was one of the things we often discussed was fan appeasing versus uh general appeal yeah. With the with the with the reboot series of Star Trek, you know they were really able to get away with taking characters that you knew and telling different stories with them, reintroducing you to the characters because now things are are changed and they give themselves sort of an in universe reason for why things aren't the same way that they were the first time. So the fans can't complain as much because they go, well, they still act like themselves, but obviously things are different now, so they're reacting to new circumstances. So I can't blame them for being different. But new fans, as far as they're concerned, this is how they've always been. With this, there is a lot of leaning on the show uh, in terms of characters, relationships, and even some of their past events. But I kind of feel like, in general, they don't tug on that stuff too much. It's all very tiny to me uh, as a fan. I feel like, you know, with Worf's relationship, with Data's relationship, you have that a bit. But uh, I feel like the they do a fairly good job of just setting up at the beginning. Hey, you know, here's a flashback of Picard in the collective and then boom, we're right into the story. You know I mean? They do a little thing where they, you know, they come on, they say, Picard, you're not going to be, we're not, we're not bringing the enterprise because we're afraid that you will be compromised by fighting. And so that gives you like a little bit of a delay, but like they don't like waste a whole lot of time. They're not, it's not like 35 minutes into the movie. Oh, the border here. Right. You know, you get a little bit of action. And then things cool off because they think that the Borg are gone. And then they ramp back up when they realize they're not. And so it's, it's uh, I think it did a good job of sort of uh, balancing being too much fan appeal and being a little bit more general because they probably could have, if they wanted to, really do- dove a lot deeper into some of those character dynamics. Um, but, uh, but they, but they kind of keep it fairly surface and, a line as simple as like the argument between Worf and Picard is simple enough for a fan like Josh or I or Andrew to go. Yeah. You know, I know what these guys have been through and that was really harsh for Picard to call him a coward because casually we know what that means. You know, that's a, like one of the worst things you could say to a Klingon in general, but for Picard to say it to Worf, it has an extra cut if you know that relationship. But I think even casually most people could appreciate someone who clearly is a very large intimidating man being called a coward uh, for wanting to save, save lives as opposed to uh, stay and fight is a pretty harsh thing to do. Um, that said, I guess I'll get into my thing a little bit here. I think yeah. before you do, I just want to piggyback off of something you said oh, um, as far as like the entrance to Picard. So I got from the, from that entrance and that, back, that background that um, he had been, taken and and, you know josh kind of gave me a little bit of a background real quick of here's what the board do here's how they operate um 
but I would have liked to have seen more realistically as a, as a non fan, because you got like two minutes of that at the beginning. And I don't really see or know the full struggle that Picard went through. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that whole thing, while I understand it's there again, I have no emotional connection to that. Right. And they just kind of glossed over it and they went, okay. And then again, that's why whenever he had that interaction with Lily in his quarters, that's whenever I went, now I fully understand. Now I get it. I really see the struggle that he's going through. But for me, it came across as this was a thing that happened. It wasn't that big of a deal. Whatever. That's how he was playing it. And I understand that's how he was playing it. But again, not having that background, it didn't seem like he cared at all. And they never really gave me that sense until that moment. And then yeah. I was, oh, well, okay, I- now I get it. I think to a certain extent, that's his, that's the character's goal is to make you think he doesn't care about it. Like he's the character's trying to brush this off as I'm fine. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I don't have any residual feelings about this. I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to join them. I'm fine. And they let you see little tiny cracks of him doing things and saying things that, that should lead you to that are foreshadowing his, his true intent. Him saying, if you run across somebody, you are going to see your fellow crewmates and they are going to be taken. Do not hesitate. They are gone. Kill yeah. them. And him killing one of his own officers who's laying there on the on the ground, still fairly conscious and asking for help, and he shoots him. And then him uh, just straight up gunning down Borg on the holodeck. You know, they're they're letting you into like his his actual feelings, even though he continues to 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 put forward, I'm fine, no, I'm good. You know, just listen to me. I'm good. I'm the only one who knows how to handle these things. Right. And I understand that. But we're, you and I are also looking at it from two different perspectives. Whereas you've seen the show and I haven't. So I you suppose. already go into this movie with that background knowledge, so whereas hard. I don't. It's so hard to check that. You know what I mean? At the door. It's yeah. really hard to do. Yeah. And oh, for sure. It's, and and I, I kind of wish that I could look at a movie like this with new eyes. Um, I guess that's how I felt during the Cloverfield stuff is that I'd never seen it. So I'm coming in with a, a new perspective. And uh, I really wish that like, cause I, I would love to be able to like this. To all be, I would love for this stuff to be new to me, but um, yeah, it, it's as far as I'm concerned, it's a natural evolution of the show. If you ever get a chance to really watch the next generation and watch and kind of watch at least if not all of it, enough of it that you kind of get the full breadth of, of these stories this show is and, and it's kind of funny because I was looking at the stuff that they had the, the the first ideas they had for this movie I'm so glad they kept pushing till they got to this because this feels like so much more natural than some of the other ideas they were they were kicking around um like Andrew said a lot of most of the cast gets a chance to do stuff Riker and 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 Jordy and uh and Troy and Dr. Crusher, they're all doing their best to try to get this uh, early. No, Crusher's on the ship. But they're doing their best to get this pivotal moment in human history off the ground. Um, and they're dealing with a guy where they, well, they get down there and they find out that the guy that everybody thinks of as a hero by the, you know, by the future standards isn't so much of a hero in the, you know, bag, you know, when, he was, when he was starting out. And so you get a lot of you get a lot of that's the very cool calm B story going on, which is a very Trek thing is to have a B story that's not quite as heavy as the as as your A story, and 
I like it. it. It allows us some breather moments between what's going on on the ship where you have a more intense, you know, kind of more thriller sci-fi thing going on. And um, I think the board here come across a lot scarier than they do on the show. On the show, they are, they're scary for the philosophical reason. The production design was never quite all the way there to make them totally intimidating. Um, the idea being, and I'm sure Josh explains to you, that the Borg don't really care about uh, identity. They don't care about you, about about culture or anything like that. Their goal is to assimil- assimilate everybody's culture into their own until they become the one, quote-unquote, perfect dominant race. But they're absent any sort of, like, you know, they don't like, they're not, like, taking people's culture and, like, adding it to their own in, like, a way that makes them more unique they're like stripping it down to like, we know you're in now we know all the knowledge you ever gained and we know everything you'll ever have. And we've brought it into our collective and then you're, you're done. All your people are gone. Your entire civilization gone. And that's a scary idea, especially in the Trek universe where personal identity and culture is, is highly valued to the point that like the Federation is made up of, a large group of, of alien races who all have very different cultures and, and, and ideals and ideologies, but they all respect each other and they all allow that to be, you know, the Klingons can continue to operate as they always have. And, you know, humans operate as they, you know, as they have, you don't have that. The Borg is not interested in that. They're not interested in, dip, in diplomacy. They're not interested in, interested in peace treaties. It's a scary, it's scary on the, on the philosophical side of things. I think they did a lot more here to make them, a little bit more intimidating. The production value is way up. The Borg Queen is genuinely pretty creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, she is. Yep. And uh, played by Alice Krieg. And uh, Jonathan Frakes described her as sexy and scary at the same time, which I think is good. I think it's, I think it's about what you want. Um, the stories feel better. I think Data uh, sort of being... So Data's been he, experimenting with emotions since the last movie, but now he's coming across something that he's never really had, which is like temptation which is not really like a uh, experience that they ever really uh, messed around with on the show. And then, man, Captain Picard going all out, out with the, you know, the line must be drawn here at the, at the end and really, you know, uh, digging in and then reciting some Moby Dick. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's the main reason you get a guy like Patrick Stewart. He's just a killer actor. Um, I want to also compliment, we talked to you, talked a little bit about her. I want to compliment Alfre Woodard because she's always great. And she yeah. wasn't playing an over the top character here, but she was playing a very natural, uh, character to kind of be the juxtaposition to Picard and kind of like check him on saying things like, you know, well, we don't, you know, we're an advanced society. We don't act the way you do anymore. And her being able to kind of check him and say, yeah, from where I'm standing, you kind of still do. And um, then, and then, uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, I'm blanking on his name now. Um, Pig farmer from Babe. Yeah, he was in <laughs> yeah, Babe. Um, James he was Cromwell. in. He, yes, James Cromwell, exactly. Yes. So he's great. I want to, uh, Josh. You might have this this detail somewhere too, but he was almost played by another much more famous actor, and um, that character that is. But James Cromwell has a certain, like, he's always solid. Like, I've never seen him be bad in anything. He's always exactly what you need. And playing a, a sort of drunk is, uh, is something that he, he gets well here. 
And he actually uh, reprised his role on the show Star Trek Enterprise, which is the, one of the shows that came out after this movie. Yeah, he, um, does, he does portray Crom... Or, uh, why did I just forget his name? Okay. What's uh, his name? Zephram? Oh, Zephram Cochran. Zephram Cochran, yes, in Enterprise, which is fun. Um, he, and he I gets did. his own nice little storyline of grappling with being a, a future hero and this icon that's looked up to when he does not uh, feel like one nor act like one. No. And it's, I mean, I, it's, it's a, it's, a, I'm trying to think about someone else who would be in a similar situation. I guess it would be like, I don't know, traveling, finding like 18 year old Neil Armstrong or something and trying mm-hmm. to convince him that like, he's one of the most famous people in history, you yeah. know, but, but trying to do that in 1960, you know, yeah. um, like Steve jobs. Yeah. Steve, Steve Jobs. Jobs might believe it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was so very I, much his goal. I think the production design, the visual effects step it up uh, tremendously. I mean, the visual effects, I think, hold up really well today. They do it's look really good. Because the, look the, fantastic. the mm-hmm. iconic, uh, the, kind of, the kind of standout shot in this is the Borg Queen being lowered down into, into, her, into her suit. You know, yeah. and she's just like a pair of shoulders and a spine and a head. Like by today's standard, that's a pretty standard shot. You see that in a lot. You see stuff like that where you're cutting out somebody's lower half all the time. Um, in 1996, that shot took five months of long, laborious work to get worked out. And I think it looks great uh, even today. So I, I'd say aside from some hokey lines like assimilate this, uh, you know, uh, things you are, would. I, I yeah, think it's. I think it's a pretty. I think it's a practically perfect movie from a fan's perspective. Yeah, it does look really good visually. Um, I think it's some of those visual effects are honestly kind of surprising for 1996 uh, because Star Trek is not like one of the one of your bigger, like huge budget uh, sci-fi franchises for film. No. So it's not like they just threw unlimited money at this. Um, no, they gave this 45 it's got, million. It's, yeah, it's got that nice mix of, of practical and computer-generated effects that make, especially like the battle scenes, look really cool because you can tell that those are real explosions that are worked into it. So mm-hmm. Yeah. I like those parts of it. And we got a cool spacewalk scene. that yeah. that I thought that looked really neat. Yeah. Um, trying to think of what other like big uh like visual effect scenes there were really the end really if i had to pick one that didn't look great sorry um uh it just looked kind of goofy when uh data does that huge jump down that tunnel and he's just like frozen like he just falls yeah it did not look great but that's my that's like one of my few visual complaints (laughs) yeah Uh, all i was gonna Mm. say was was that when in the end, when um, when Data knocks out like part of that cooling system for the uh, for the power, oh yeah, and everything literally melts away. Yeah, all the organic components get yeah. melted. That lady, uh, Borg Queen's face, just. I I do want to give props to the makeup crew. Yeah, because like uh, the makeup crew was nominated for an Oscar for this. And you can definitely tell they put in the work because like what one of the freakiest things I remember about this movie growing up was there was they were doing some like montage shots of like 
the Borg getting their collective. Of yeah, like getting like stuff drilled into their faces and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and like they're putting all the they're putting all the Borg stuff on. And one of the things I remember was like one of the crew members had like a normal eye, and they panned over, and part of his eye was like artificial, mm-hmm. and it was like sticking out. Yeah. And I always wondered like how did they do that? Like that's that's nuts. I've gone. And then, and that question never got answered. But like, it just stuff like that just really sticks out. And the like, I, there's one thing I will say is just the makeup was just amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah, well, yeah. The, I mean, you know, the Borg Queen is mostly just makeup and a cat suit. Like, you know, today they, they do that. They do like that whole character probably like as a as a digital character with motion capture. Yeah. But I mean, makeup and hair and makeup are, are truly underrated, I think by today's standards. Um, and sometimes even when it is hair and makeup, people just assume it's CGI. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it goes a long way with her. Um, they did a, uh, they did a good job with data as they usually do. And this time he has like human skin grafted over part of him. So it's like half human data, half, uh, half artificial data. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and then uh, we got a lot of great cameos in this movie too, as we talked about. We got Adam Scott. Yes, and, uh, I, I say cameo. This is more of like he was just young at the time. Neil McDonough, uh, yeah, who's a terrific actor. As and same for Adam Scott, he was just young at the time. Very young at the time. This was around the time he was playing Griff on Boy Meets World. Um, and then uh, we got two uh, Star Trek Voyager cameos. We got a cameo from Robert Picardo as the Doctor, the EMH. Love that. Um, and then I, had we got... to, I paused. I paused the movie to explain that <laughs> the significance <laughs> of the of the EMH program. Yeah, and then um, we get the actor who plays Neelix is bar, is the Mater D at the during the holodeck sequence, um, oh. which was also very neat. He's also okay. on Star Trek Voyager. Um, other than that, I'm trying to think, I think there was one other that was like of interest, but I can't remember what it was now. Um, Josh, are you aware? And Andrew, are you aware of who almost played Zeph from Cochran? I don't think I do know that. No. So Uh, go ahead. We'll see. So this might've made for a very different movie, but it was, the role was originally offered to longtime Star Trek fan, Tom Hanks. No. Yes. Man, that would have been cool. If it were Tom Hanks, he would have had, I think, an even more significant role. I mean, because oh, yeah. Zephram's in there quite a bit, but Tom Hanks? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's... Peak, peak Tom Hanks time. Tom Hanks, in 96, yeah. Tom Hanks. Unfortunately, he couldn't do it because he was had a prior commitment with uh, that thing you do. Oh, what a bummer. I know, right? Just think about oh. how different it would have been. Like, they could have marketed Tom Hanks as in this. But uh, when they when ultimately that didn't work out... Um, Jonathan Frake said, I was glad we were able to get James Cromwell because he's a very underrated actor. And he's a, he was afraid that Tom Hanks' fame would have outshone the character. People would have not been able to really like believe, uh, believe that, you know, like it was a different character. They wouldn't be able to see past the Tom Hanks, the George Clooney effect. Yeah, maybe. But I thought that was a very interesting near casting choice. I wish that it had happened. I really do. And I, I mean, wanna... um, that's crazy. James Cromwell brings a lot to the role and he's very good in it, but Tom Hanks, but I, I feel like a... even James would have been like, yeah, Tom can have it. <laughs> yeah. 
But like that's yeah. such a that's such a huge contrast. Like yeah, he's very different. He's, he has a very different style. Yeah, it, you know, Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks, and James Cromwell is James Cromwell is like almost a character actor mm-hmm. who is is lucky enough to get lead roles. Mm-hmm. I was one hundred percent prepared for you to say Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks and James Cromwell is James Cromwell. <laughs> I mean, obviously. And then just like look at us, like, am I right? Am I? Yeah. <laughs> I think I pretty much hit the nail on the head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just like the Dark Knight. And Ace Ventura. One element of this movie that I thought could have been neat uh-huh. was, and I went back and forth on whether or not I thought this was the tactic was throughout the movie, Picard would hear the voices of the board. Never really like understood what they were saying, but he had that sense. He could hear them whispering. Yeah. He could hear the whispers. And part of me was going back and forth on whether or not this was something the board knew would happen to somebody who um, had previously been able to escape their clutches. Mm Mm-hmm. And if they were, was she manipulating the situation? And it turns out nothing of that ever panned out and, and turned into anything other than the fact that he could hear them. And I think that was a missed element. I think that could have been an added something where she's either yeah. just messing with them or they don't know that he can hear them and he figures it out and use it to their advantage, which he did use it to his advantage from uh, you know the couple of times. But I think that was an element that was just kind of put in there and then it could have been more. I don't have any problem with it. I think yeah. that there was just more they could have gotten from it in some way, shape or form. And they definitely could have used that a little bit more to sort of uh, highlight Picard's, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, either post-traumatic uh, stress from the, from the situation or even just the, 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 the long-term ramifications of being assimilated by the board. Um, prior to Picard, for, for, Laura, for, for the sake of lore, um, prior to Picard, um, supposedly no one had ever been uh, taken out of the board, uh, unassimilated as it is. But um, because of the success that uh, Data and, and I think Jordy and a little bit Counselor Troy were able to achieve during the show, that practice was tried multiple times again, like tried again and to varying rates of success. Um, a character on Star Trek Voyager seven of nine is a former Borg that's been uh, sort of re unassimilated. And so she kind of gets to explore some of those ideas a little bit more because I think at the time they wrote, they were writing TNG. I don't think they had the, they thought about that too much. Um, you have several episodes that revisit Picard's experience, but not uh, with as grand, not not on the gra- as grand a level as First Contact, or even what they did with Seven of Nine. But uh, uh, that 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 plays all the way into today's Star Trek uh, Star Trek Picard, where you see that the practice of uh, pulling people out of the collective, or pulling uh, uh, people out of it, yeah, pulling people out of the collective is now like a common practice. They do it all the time and it's um the people are never quite the same and they all still feel like they they, they feel like I, I think the way that's described is it feels like having your hand cut off almost 
yeah. because you become you in a sh- very short amount of time you're basically can you basically can hear everyone talking at the same time but it's all makes it's like it all makes sense i don't know it definitely is something they could have explored more uh and it's unfortunate they didn't uh, it's probably just it, it could be one of those things that just they didn't have time for or they worried that it was going to bore the audience maybe I don't have much else to say. We'll talk. No, um, no, uh, I don't really either. I mean, I don't either. I like the movie. Yeah, I do too. I really. We talked about all the things I like about it. It's got good action. It's got good humor. Um, It has a time travel scenario that makes a lot more sense than the Flash movies did. Uh, Yes. Let me express. Well, go ahead, Josh. I was just going to say that I think that uh, they also handled data better because um, he kind of continues the same route he was on in Generations with his attempts to be more human. And this time he is like gifted uh, the chance to be even more human in a way that only the Borg could provide. And it really tests him, as we see. And so that makes that story even more interesting. So it, I, I think they improve, they improve on a lot of things that weren't done quite right in Generations simply because it was just too much to juggle. Yeah, they could focus more on the actual story, I think, than trying to come up with a cool way to have this particular moment. They were able to focus on a real, on like that story itself. Yep. And, and it's funny because like Data, and they, they, they don't tackle this too much on the show, but Data presents a real challenge for the Borg being the only, as far as anybody knows, truly artificial and artificial life form in the galaxy, the Borg mostly their whole lives have just assimilated uh, organic life forms. Data being not being being the opposite, it's like they had to work from the other way around. They were like, uh, okay, well we can't give him artif- you know artificial enhancements because he's already got them all. We have to give him organic enhancements. It's a so it's so it's it's a challenge for the uh, for them in a different way. Um, I don't have much else to say. I do want to run through some uh, alternate story ideas they had and some alternate titles. So it, apparently the two writers both came up with two different ideas. They, they, they went away to themselves and they came back to each other to, 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 to pitch their ideas to each other and then uh, come up with the ultimate, the, to come up with the thing. Uh, one had the idea of doing stuff with the board. Or I think actually they both had the idea of doing stuff with the board. One of them wanted to go back in time to uh, the 1500s of Earth, the Borg were going to invade the Renaissance, and they were going to have a, a duel in a uh, castle. Is where they were going to be held up. Oh. There was going to be lots of sword fighting and phasers, and it would have been very Star Trek, but also the wrong kind of Star Trek for most people. I think. Yeah, sounds, sounds like dumb. sounds more like yeah. Doctor Who. It's it very, does sound more like Doctor Who. They, they ditched that because it was too campy, but they liked the time travel element, and that was where the other guy came in. He wanted to do something with Data being taken by the Borg and assimilated much like Picard did, and Picard has to overcome his PTSD to save Data. They combined that with the idea of going not all the way to the Renaissance, but instead going to a pivotal moment in Star Trek history, not necessarily real history. Um, and uh, we get to, uh, I, I think they, they really brought together the best of both worlds in that scenario. Uh, a time travel story with also a very personal story for the characters. Some alternate titles were Star Trek Borg. Dumb. Um, pretty bon- not great. 
Very um, Star Trek Destinies. This, uh, is, this no. has got to be one of the weaker ones. Star Trek Future Generations. No. This is the worst. I'm just going to tell you right now. This is the worst. Star Trek Generations 2. Oh, no. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Generations now, 2 Electric Boogaloo. Now the title they with it. Now the title they went with for the longest time, <laughs> for the longest time, for the longest time, the script said the, the script read Star Trek Resurrection, and they were good with that until 20th Century Fox announced their film Alien Resurrection. Uh, at which point they had to go well back to the drawing board. And then they came up with First Contact, which I actually think is best of all the things that, that were suggested there. I would agree with that. Because first contact's kind of like ambiguous if you don't really like read a lot of first, like I think sci-fi stories. You're like first contact. What exactly does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Anyway, that's all I all got right. to say. I wanted to read some little fun facts. Cool. My mic's too low. Um, my last fun fact is that this movie was nominated at the Academy Awards for best makeup, but lost to the Nutty Professor. Oh, brother! Oh. Man. Uh, 96 96 we're gonna have to do a rundown of the 96 oscars because like the 96 oscars were very confusing well you know i I know what but i'm gonna i'm gonna defend the nutty professor here for a second (laughs) in that eddie murphy did play all those characters and he had to be made up to play all of those characters so and he and and the makeup did look good and he did look good as all of those different characters it wasn't cg it was it was actual makeup so i retract my ugh. i give it a mm. it's it what it boils down to is it's rick baker yeah the academy loves rick baker so he's he's literally the king of makeup that's for true yeah all right well but uh uh if i just want to read there's two things I, I found very interesting. I was going through some trivia. Is you don't see Guinan in this. Mm-mm. No. And Guinan, Guinan in the show apparently has like a huge role with the Borg. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah, her people yeah. were assimilated by the Borg, but not all of them. And and uh, Whoopi Goldberg says she wasn't asked to. She wasn't asked to come back. And rude. Yeah, and she basically said that. I wanted to do it, but I didn't think you could do anything about the Borg without my character, but apparently you can, so they don't need me. Yeah, Whoopi Goldberg seems like the not kind of the person you don't... I don't think you want to piss off Whoopi Goldberg. Oh. No, she's scary. Agreed. But the other thing I, the other thing I noticed that I, I liked, which was a, a nice surprise, was Jordy's... Uh, He's no got vibe. his... Yeah. He's got a uh, ocular implants instead yeah. of the, yeah. the iconic visor. The visor is yeah. I mean, that's what people knew. Yeah. Well, like he reportedly hated the visor. Oh yeah. Because like, and for why for, wouldn't he? Say what? Why wouldn't he? How? There's no way that could be comfortable. Well, and like, there's no way he could actually. I mean, all them lines. Yeah. How could he really see through it? Yeah, that, that was one reason. But the other reason, the other reason was was that acting is all in the eyes. Mm-hmm. And if you can't mm-hmm. see your eyes, you can't tell the character's emotion. And he was he was asking he was asking the writers, he's like, I don't care what you do, please don't let me wear that visor anymore. And you know the funny thing is, like it like 
it's a uh, it's iconic if people recognize Jordy based on that visor. Yeah. But yeah, he talks about how it was for him it was personally ironic because he was playing a character who couldn't see but had this ability this this special thing that allowed the character to see. Unfortunately, it allowed the actor to not be able to see mm-hmm. because he couldn't see his marks. He couldn't look his fellow actors uh, in the face to react to their reactions. It was very difficult. Um, yep. They uh, it, it works out story wise because in almost every episode where they 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 have like a shot of the future or a flash forward or some somebody travels to the future by some, for some reason, Jordy almost always has had implants by that point. So they could always just go, "This is the point where he got implants." We always <laughs> we always said it was going to happen in the show, and here it is. Um, and, uh, it's interesting. It's kind of, it is interesting to me that they don't take a moment to explain that. Like Jordy doesn't like explain his eyes to like Zephyr and Cochran, somebody who wouldn't know or something like that. You have like an excuse. Here's a character who doesn't know. So you have an excuse to do it. But, um, uh, it, it's uh, my wife when we were watching it, she went, Whoa, what is going on? Where is those are LeVar Burton's eyes. Like she was very surprised to see, uh, uh, uh Jordy's eyes in this. And, uh, she, I was like, that's not at all. Beverly, Dr. Crusher's blonde. Um, I said, one of those has a, a backstory. One doesn't, uh, Oh, okay. I thought you guys were froze for a sec. Nope. Everybody was, everybody was very still and we for like a moment too still. And I was like, Oh no. Um, Oh, the only other thing, uh, Josh will be uh, Josh, and maybe Andrew. You'll both recognize this. We also got a cameo from uh, uh, Lieutenant Barkley. Mm. Lieutenant Barkley is a very. I was telling my wife he's a character on the show. He's maybe in like six or seven episodes of the show, and he appears in a few of the other, like the the, the Star Trek Voyager and Deep Space Nine. He's yeah. a character, Garrett, that I think you'd be really interested in, because Star Trek is often uh, sort of. Uh, poked fun at by because of how perfect all the characters kind of are they're all like they always make the moral right decisions and they're always just so right and so you know so righteous and all this barkley's like a really regular dude like barkley is the andrew nichols of the enterprise oh i hate that character actually you know maybe not maybe he's actually garrett (laughs) he might actually like that character he might be the garrett powders of it because he's like he's super anxious he doesn't do well with people he hates, he, he's, he's terrified of actually doing anything, but he's managed to rise through the ranks because he's just that, he's just good enough at his job to keep rising up. So he's just a, he's to the point where like, it's so funny because for like, when they first introduce him, all the characters hate having to deal with them because yeah. they're like, oh, oh no, see Barkley. And he's always going to ask me a thousand questions. I'm the inverse. Um, People like me at first. And then it's like, nah, never mind. Yeah. The more they get used to them. Oh, yeah. Boy. Gotta, so, uh, it was very nice to see a cameo by him. Cool. All right. Well, let's let's <laughs> let's move toward the end of this, shall yes, we? Yes, yes, yes. So, this is the box office stats. We're going to run through the uh, the numbers here a little bit. Star Trek: First Contact debuted, as Josh said, back in November uh, on the weekend of November twenty second in nineteen ninety six. It finished number one that weekend with a haul of $30.7 million, uh, which is not bad for a sort of Thanksgiving-ish weekend. Uh, at number two, this is a great list of movies here. At number two that weekend, uh, in its second week, had Space Jam, bringing in $16.2 million. It's oh, your yeah. dance, do your dance. Space Jam. 
fixing a divot. Um, <laughs> number three is a movie called Ransom. Brought in $13 million in its third week. And number four, we talked about this movie last uh, December. It's Jingle All the Way. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. He's got two. Um, They're all gone. It actually debuted that weekend to $12.1 million. And then at number five, it's The Mirror Has Two Faces in its second week. Don't Uh, say that. I'm literally the only one that knows what that is. The so, mirror has two faces. Oh, girl. shut up. <laughs> it's only one sequel in the top five that weekend. In fact, only one sequel in the top ten altogether. And uh, if we uh, look at the full box office numbers, Star Trek First Contact finished with $92 million in the United States over its 17-week run. It added another $54 million from overseas to bring its worldwide total to $146 million worldwide on just a 45 million dollar budget they gave it another 10 million from what they gave generations if we go if we go which is you know i think that's pretty good if we go back in time to 1996 this is a year we've been to a couple of times uh we have the number one movie of the year the only movie to make over 300 million that year was independence day at number two uh, we're making $241 million. It's Twister. At number three, bringing in 180.9, Mission Impossible, the first one. At number four, is that Tom Cruise again? It is Jerry Maguire with $153 million. And then number five, it, it is Ransom returning again, $136 million. So no sequels in the top five that year. In fact, you would have to go all the way down to number 17 where you'll find Star Trek First Contact as oh. the highest grossing sequel of, of 1996. Oh, those and are that, the days of original content. Yeah, content. I mean, here's your, here's your top 10 I'll run through real quick again. Independence Day, Twister, Mission Impossible, Jerry Maguire, Ransom, 101 Dalmatians, which is sort of the earliest, perhaps the, the proto uh, Disney live action remake. Uh, at number seven, you have Michael Bay's The Rock. Yeah. Number eight, uh, an uh, Oscar winner, The Nutty Professor. At number nine, The Birdcage. And at number ten, A Time to Kill. Um, it wasn't a big year. For, like it wasn't necessarily a big year for sequels, but it was a big year for movies that generated sequels. So. Uh, a lot of other good movies came out that year. And the funny thing is, like, the domestic charts really aren't that different than the worldwide charts that year. Um, Star Trek would finish in the 22nd spot for that, but the top five is virtually the same. Mission Impossible just made more than Twister on the worldwide scale. Uh, that's about it. Independence Day is your highest-grossing non-sequel. I said First Contact was your highest-grossing sequel. Um, for the series of... Uh, I, do want to mention some other honorable mentions. Braveheart was your Best Picture winner that year. Um, which I think a lot of people were fine with at the time, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. People love Braveheart. And um, uh, runners-up that year were Apollo 13, which I think uh, arguably could have also been Best Picture. It technically probably should have won. I think it, I, I think there's an argument definitely could have been made for Apollo 13 to be the winner that year. Also, yeah. The Postman, Sense and Sensibility, and are you kidding me? Babe. People like Babe. Babe was nominated for Best Picture? Andrew loves Babe. I do love Babe. Of course Andrew loves Babe. Look at him, he is Babe. (laughs) 
Andrew, say la 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 real quick. La 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 la. Okay, okay, this is going <laughs> off the rails. I'm yeah. gonna, I'm pulling the trigger now. Like we, this so, is. <laughs> so to wrap to wrap up, uh, first contact going way the, too long. <laughs> for the to wrap things up for the box office, first contact is the fifth highest grossing movie in the Star Trek franchise. It is the highest grossing of the next generation films. Uh, and that is uh, unadjusted for inflation. Cool. Adjusted uh, is probably running, not anymore. Who's running the game this week? Yeah, oh, I am. I am. Oh, like David's going to talk some more. Yay. More, David. Letterbox. <laughs> JK, JK. So does somebody want to explain the Letterbox game while I, uh, for, for any of our new viewers. Who, is still, who still doesn't know how this game works? We, uh, so Letterbox is a film community, social media website for film fans where you log and review films, create lists, add friends, all that fun stuff. We like to use their ranking system uh, versus some more popular name brands such as Rotten Tomatoes, et cetera, uh, because we believe it gives a, a bit more of an accurate portrayal of what the film community thinks of these movies. So we guess on a zero to five scale where we think it'll land, and then we'll give our own review after that. And you can find our So Many Sequels account on Letterboxd if you're there. And if you're not there, you should be. <clears throat> All right. I have the number in front of me. So uh, with 32,000 views and 6.1 thousand likes, guys, what do you think the Letterbox community gave Star Trek First Contact? I'm going to go with 3.8. 3.8 from Andrew. Coming in fast and hot. Hmm, I'm gonna go. Hmm, I don't. Mm, I don't think it's higher than that. I think I really, honestly think that's pretty damn close, pro- probably. So I'm gonna go three point five. Oh, you bastard! Um, five from Josh, <sighs> swiping it from Garrett. Um. What'd you say, Andrew? I suppose you could take the same number. We've never made that rule. We've never really made a rule, but then we'd have to do a tiebreaker. That's true. Um, I mean, unless Andrew wins. Um, I don't know. I think that it. I think that people are going to like it more than me. I don't think it's going to be higher than what Andrew said either. Um, so I'm going to go. I'll go with three. Uh, Three point six seven. Hmm? Three point seven. Yeah. All right. Now for the people at home, I forgot I was running the game this week, so I wrote <laughs> down a guess, and I guessed right. Oh. So I just want that to be on the record. Prove uh, it. I have put it on my personal record here that David technically would have won this week had he not been running the game. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're off to Metacritic because Josh and Garrett tie. It's three point six. Oh God! So why do either... we always get thrown off to Metacritic? Well, we don't have to go to Metacritic. Well, I have no, a different we're option for go. you. I have a different option for you. What's the option? All right. How many people have this as one of are fans of this movie? As in, have oh, it in geez. their top. That's too many. Oh no, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna narrow it down for you. Okay. The number is between 100 and 120. How many people have this movie in their top four 
on Letterboxd? 108. 108 from Josh. 112. 112 from Garrett. Guys, I'm very happy to say that on the, all t- on the, on the big scoreboard, <laughs> we're all tied up because Garrett is your oh winner this week. The fan number is 111. You were both very oh, close. Man. Garrett missed it by just one. A big win for Garrett this week. The letterbox game is his. And you get to run the game next week. Baby circles. That's exciting. So that ties Ooh, us all okay. up on, on, the big, on the big charts. Thank God. So it's what all is, up at four. What is everyone else's uh, – what, what, what are you guys going to score it as? It's a four and a half for me. It's practically perfect. I love it. Yeah, it's definitely a four. Um, I'm gonna care. side. I'm gonna match the four and a half. I think. Cool. Oh, y'all are gonna hate me. That's I apologize. fine. I apologize. I, cho- I genuinely do chalk it up to the fact that I haven't seen the show. I think that is a heavy hitter in this particular case because I did find the movie good. Um, but I'm only gonna go with the three. Um, okay. I think that. I That's think better that than me, generations. So. Yeah, and and it and it's definitely better than generations. Um, I think the movie was. I think it looked good. I think it was a good story. I have nothing bad to say other than the fact that I really do just feel a genuine disconnect between me and these characters, and I think that that is sure. a swing and a miss. And it's not. I'm not faulting the the movies. I'm not faulting me. It's mm-hmm. just we haven't been in the same lane at the same time. And I would like to revisit this after I've seen this show. But I think that. A show or a movie like this is relying a lot on the TV show, and I haven't seen it, and I think that takes a hit. I think that's fine. I think that I honestly think that that's fair because I think uh, three on your scale is still uh, fairly good, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's I mean, above average for for a movie that you know didn't you don't have any any prior ties to to still get a three, and I think that speaks well of how how well it did. Cool. My concern is. My concern is that y'all said this is the best one, and I'm worried about the next two. <laughs> yeah, you might you, need me. You should be worried about the next two. Listen, listen. If there was any point in time where you found First Contact boring, you are going to be miserable <laughs> in this next one. No. I mean, yeah. I mean, you are going to oh, be unconsolable. God. Yeah, I mean, now I haven't watched Insurrection since I was about eight or nine. Uh, probably nine. So was not are these next two worse than Generations? Yeah, maybe. yeah. Okay. Well, at least the next the, one. I don't want to speak for Nemesis. Nemesis isn't as bad as I think most people give it credit for. I think Insurrection is just as bad as people give it credit for. For okay, I, I will. I will add that several of the cast members, several of the cast members of the Next Generation series, have gone on record saying that the that first contact is the is the best movie they've worked on yeah. in the series. Yeah. So. I, I would argue that it's in the top. I would argue that if you were to make an all-time Star Trek, like including the old, the original series movies and the, the, the reboot series, yeah. I, I, I would make an argument that First Contact's in the top three. Oh, I agree. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Well, our, our collective average turned out to be a perfect four. So that is a respectable, respectable simulated all of our averages. score. <laughs> And uh, we will add that to our Letterboxd account. Um, so many sequels. Follow us so, there. What did you say it was again? So many sequels. No, uh, the, the score. Oh, four. A perfect four. Oh, perfect four. Well, I guess it's not perfect because a perfect would be a five. 
But <laughs> yeah, it's per it's a perfect four. All fours are perfect. Even four. The most perfect four, four you ever saw. Yeah. Um, all right. So that wraps up that. We'll be back next time. I'm, now we've got our viewers all hyped up for insurrection as well. Yeah, they're super. They're super stoked. I'm sure. Oh, you know, hey, look. I don't even look. think it's good enough. Like it might. It's so boring. I don't even think we can make fun of it, really. Because oh. you're gonna go. There's really nothing wrong with that. That was just really dull. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you know. It's like wrestling. There's good wrestling, which is enjoyable, and bad wrestling, which is enjoyable. But boring wrestling is unwatchable. Yeah. Yeah. That's the sure. problem. Star Trek, like any niche fandom, is like it's when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, you know, like some episodes of Voyager, it's like mm. this is some silly stuff. When it's boring, like you know, uh, season one episode of Deep Space Nine, it's just—is this still on? <laughs> oh boy! Anyway, right. I think we might have some fun though. We'll find a way. We'll see. We'll be back next next time with Star Trek Insurrection. Follow us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search so many sequels there. Uh, subscribe on YouTube and our podcast feed. And be sure be sure to share your uh, your favorite episodes to your friends. Um, we have a ton that you can go back and you know if we haven't covered your favorite movie yet, uh, let us know. Uh, we may have covered your favorite movie. Just scroll back and see if maybe we did it already. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we covered go a lot, and uh, apparently, uh, you know, time. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, we got a bunch of great stuff, sci-fi, mm-hmm. and, but also we've done some weird stuff, yeah. done some cool stuff, and you know yeah. what? Uh, it's a good chance Screen Rant will uh, be reporting on whatever <laughs> we're going to do next. So just watch whatever they're doing, and uh, that'll be what we're doing next. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, scroll through our podcast feed, find find our old episodes, and listen, listen and share. Um, we'll be back next time. Until then. Anybody else want to hear my babe impressions? No, live long and prosper. <laughs>